Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chappell, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Thanks, Janice. Pleased to be here. And I like the topic. I love the topic of leadership. Awesome. So I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, very cool. Whereabouts are you in the world today? In Boulder, Colorado. Oh, wow. Well, and have you always been from Colorado or are you from somewhere else? I'm from Sydney, Australia. <laughs> I was going to say because you could tell from your accent as well. And how long have you been in the US for? Oh, man. I came over here in 1990 backpacking because it's kind of a law in Australia and New Zealand. When you go traveling, you got to travel for a year. Yep. So I, I did that. And then 93, I got a job transfer to Park Avenue in New, New York. And then I've been back and forth, but I've spent about 15, 20 years in the States. I just keep coming back. It feels like, like home to me. Yeah, very good. And so it feels like home. In what way does it make, you, make it feel like home for you? Well, Living here for 20 years will do that. Yep. And I've always been looking for progressive communities. That's the thing. I need a group of conscious people who are exploring what it is to be human. And, you know, I got some of that in Byron Bay, mm. Australia. Yep. Didn't really find it in Melbourne. I didn't really find it in Sydney. And when I came over to the US, I found some amazing people in New York. And I'm like, wow. And I was introduced to teachers and gurus. And then I got to San Francisco and there's a similar conscious community in San Francisco. And then Boulder was, well, I went to Bali too. Ubud's got a really transformational community. Yep. But I have to live somewhere where there are people who are into meditation and yoga and things that our listeners may not have heard of, like tea grouping and circling and authentic relating. That's my jam. Very cool. Ubud and Bali. I, I was there for a, we called it a business school, but I was there for seven days and an Ubud and loved it. What a wonderful place that is. So, um, I don't know, so relaxing, but at the same time, so much energy there as well. Yeah. Mm, very cool. So David, I read it in your bio that you actually had an accident paragliding. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. Well, I've been flying for a long time. In college, there was a hang gliding club. And so for free, you could use their hang gliders. You just had to pay for the training. And I had two accidents as a hang glider pilot, but they were low to the ground and I didn't, didn't really hurt myself, but it put a dent in my courage, I'll tell you. And then years later in Bali, I decided to get into paragliding. There wasn't any hang gliding in Bali. So I'm like, all right, I'll do this. But I was very nervous about flying something that can collapse. See, a hang glider is not going to collapse. It's a fixed frame. Paragliders collapse. And I, so I always thought, why would you ever do it? But there were reasons practical reasons to do it in Bali. So I learned how to do it. I had a full collapse at 300 feet above the ocean. And if you collapse at say three kilometers above the earth, you're fine. 
the higher you are, the better, because there's time to reinflate the wing. And if that doesn't work, there's time to throw your reserve chute. But if you collapse at 300 feet, you're likely dead. And so I was plummeting towards the earth and I managed to reinflate the wing at 80 feet above the ocean. And I, I walked away from that one. But then a year or two later, I was in Colombia flying and I'd nearly touched down. I was one foot from the ground on the top of this mountain and a bubble took me, some hot air took me up and back and I didn't control the wing. And so that was a much less dramatic accident. But that one, I actually fractured my spine. I just, I fell from 10 or 15 feet onto my butt. And even though there's an air cushion underneath you, I had a compression fracture of the spine and went to ambulance, went to hospital in an ambulance. And I decided after that, I knew it was not if, but when I had another incident or accident, just a matter of time. And I decided I have to make myself watch accident videos of paragliding. And if after doing that, I'm still willing to do it, I'll become one of the best pilots in the world and be one of the safest pilots in the world. I do acro flying. I'll, I'll learn how to like deliberately collapse the wing and reinflate it. I'll become really, really good or I'll give it up. And I decided after watching those accident videos, I would like to live. I'd like to keep my spinal column intact. I'd like to keep my brain inside my skull. And so I decided to keep my two feet on the ground. And that mm. was a big life decision. Yeah, amazing. So there's a few things that you've said there. One thing that I picked up right at the beginning was you said it put a dent in your courage. Now, for a lot of leaders in life and that we go through things and things happen and their courage gets dented. And we've had, there's a saying out there, if you fall off the horse, get back on the saddle and go for it. So when you had that first experience, getting back onto, up onto the paraglide again for the second experience or to get underway again, what was going through your mind? What was the thing that helped you make the decision to, to get back up there again and, and go for it? Wow. Well, one thing that comes to mind is I tend to lean into my fears. That's my natural orientation. Not everyone's like that. My psychiatrist said to me once, it's like you're almost counterphobic. And I'd never heard that word, but as soon as he said it, I'm like, oh my God, that's my life. If I'm afraid of something, I don't want it to have power over me. So I lean into it. So part of it was like, like a stubbornness. And I'd worked out why that accident, it's called an incident if you don't hurt yourself. So yep. why that collapse happened in Bali, it was a, an equipment failure. And so I figure, all right, I've got the lesson and I've learned from that. And so that's unlikely to happen again because I'll be really inspecting my equipment and making sure it's all valid. And I loved flying. It, it was something exciting. I think I wanted something exciting in my life. And this gave me something that, that really got my attention. But when you say you get off, fall off the horse, you get back on. No, those aren't the exact steps. You fall off the horse, you reassess why did you fall off the horse? Is this the horse you should be riding? Should you be riding a horse at all? And if the answer is yes, then do whatever the work is to, to get back into it. You might work with a therapist or a coach, or you might just say, all right, I got to confront this. I just worked with a client today who's really hates making videos. And I said, well, particularly in this pandemic, it's a pretty important thing for you to be able to do if you want your message out there. So I'm suggesting you get over this and do a bad video and send it to me and we'll go from there. So sometimes it's just suck it up and move forward. There's a book called, I never read it, but I love the title, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Yep. I would say assess why you're afraid and see if the upside is worth it. And often it is. Often we just, we succumb to our fear and we want to stay comfortable. 
and that's going to lead to a life of regret. So we don't want that. But I'm also not saying just go and step off a mountain in Nepal and go up to 10,000 feet under a storm cloud you got to look at, is the upside worth it of what I'm going to do? And too often we say, oh, that's scary. I'm not going to ask that woman out, or I'm not going to ask that celebrity to endorse my product, or I'm not going to go and speak to that group, or I won't pitch myself to that podcast host because I'm small potatoes. Like whatever it is, why would we just let feeling awkward and uncomfortable be the reason for us not to go for what we want? Yeah. Oh, I love it. That's awesome. That's brilliant. Because the thing is, leaning into my fears, I love that. And also everything else you said, because I think what a lot of leaders do, if I relate this to leaders now and to our listeners, is that what David's just said here, listeners, is the fact that we just tend to sort of get on with things afterwards or if something's happened. But what he's saying here is, no, stop, take stock, reflect, think about things, understand what's going on, learn from it, and then move on from there. But yet again, I love what you said as well. Maybe this is not the right thing for you to be doing. Maybe it should be something else you're doing. Yeah, there's a sweet spot. Hmm. There's a sweet spot. See, because for a lot of my life, I'm just like the spiritual warrior. I'm like, nothing is going to stop me. I'm unstoppable. I was scared of abandonment because I lost my little sister when I was seven years old. So I've got issues around abandonment. So I would explore open relationships and I'd be dating a woman who's dating other men. And it was terrifying. But I'm like, let's go for it. I'm actually scared of heights. <laughs> and I literally was 10,000 feet above sea level over the Himalayas alone in a paraglider. I'm scared of, you know, crowds. I'm socially awkward and I'll go and get on stage and I'll deliver a speech. So that's good to have that in your tool bag. It's good to know that you can be unstoppable. Whereabouts in the world are you today? I am based in sunny Jacksonville, Florida. It's cold, but it's, you know, I'm, I'm glad I'm not in New York or Boston or any other place. Yeah, glad to see I got, I see you got the word sunny in there, which is good. And <laughs> the other thing too is that, uh, yeah, you're in winter and I'm in summer in this part of the world. So yeah, I'm not looking forward to going autumn or winter but, or fall as you might call it. Uh, where, you, where, where does your name originate from? I come from Mumbai, India. Mommy literally means uh, the Lord and the master of the world. Oh, wow. Very good. <laughs> or a husband in Indonesian. You know, Bahasa Indonesia, it also means husband. Oh, wow. It's interesting how <laughs> names or words have different meanings in different, different countries, different cultures and that, yeah. I used to have a team in Bangalore in, in India and people say to me, I go, oh, where are you from? They go, I'm from India and they tell me which part. And I go, great, because I'm actually from Karnataka. And they go, what? How does he know how to say Karnataka? First of all, let alone, he doesn't look like he's from there. And I just go, no, I used to have a team in Bangalore and that, but they taught me about the names and so forth. So I have a lot of fun doing that and saying that to people. So, I mean, I've just given a quick introduction to our listeners about your background, huge experience and, you know, in a large corporate as well. You want to tell us anything more, a little bit more about your background? Kenneth, I grew up in the India of 60s and 70s, come from a middle-class household, you know, battling constraints as everyone used to during those days. Hugely, the family hugely valued education and integrity and hard work. I mean, if my mom didn't tell me hard work doesn't kill anyone at least five times in a day or five times in an hour, I would feel something's wrong with her. <laughs> did pharmacy, you know, worked for some time, did my MBA joined a large global financial multinational. Then about 30 years ago, I took a 55% pay cut and joined Johnson & Johnson. And then I never looked back. 
When you think about the compounding impact of 55% pay cut, one would assume I've left a lot of money on the table, but what I have gained is phenomenal. And honestly, J&J has been my university in healthcare. It's been my university in leadership. It's really taught me everything that I know today. And for that, I will be forever grateful to that institution. That's wonderful. And, you know, just that sharing of you with a 55% pay cut to go to a large organization like that, you know, saying you're right, some people might think, well, what are you doing? But I think at the end of the day, it's what your bigger picture is, your understanding what your vision is and where you're going in your career. And sometimes we might need to make a strategic move to go ahead and do that. And I think that's wonderful you did that because look at what's happened for you in your career. That's, would you have actually had that opportunity where you were before? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Yeah, I think we are destined to go where we are destined to. And I'm so glad that I took that chance. And, uh, you know, I had the courage at that point of time. I think I was foolhardy, but in retrospect, I would call it courage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, courage, big courage. <laughs> Absolutely. And tell me, how did you get into leadership? Honestly, I never thought about getting into leadership. When you get into work, you are just focused on doing your job to the best of your ability. You want to excel at your task. And that's all that I was fixated on. And then over a period of time, people kind of start giving you people responsibility. And then you start looking at what truly motivates people. You know, how are you going to help them? deliver what we need to do, but also balance their lives. I mean, people are diverse. People have different things on their mind. How do you keep them engaged all the time? Moving from people leadership, then you start looking at, that's when you start really looking upwards in terms of what are people above you doing? How are they leading larger teams, larger businesses, larger functions, larger units? And then when you start moving across the world, you start looking at people from different cultures and how do they connect back with them. I and that's how my entire leadership journey started. First, just by doing the job well. Second, trying to figure out how to get people excited about doing what we need to do. Third, helping people make choices and, and literally bringing out everyone in terms of helping them make those choices. And then the last thing which you know is if you really want to move ahead in life, you have to learn to trust people. And you have to first learn to trust yourself and really put yourself out there with all your warts and, you know, the answers which you don't have to every question which they might have. And I think that's how I kept evolving over a period of time. I still think I'm a work in progress. I'm not done yet. But that's the long and short of it. Yeah, I think you're so right in what you're saying about trusting yourself first. You have to trust yourself before you can either trust others, number one. The other thing you said as well is about really doing your job really well. The number of people who want to move up in an organization are going, great, but you need to knock the ball out of the park, if I use a metaphor like that, on what you do and do it really well. Not just do it okay, not just mediocre, but really do it well because then you get the right attention. Yeah. You know, if you're not good at what you do, you will, over a period of time, not be good at what you're supposed to do. Uh, and you can get distracted by everything. But at the end of the day, you also have to really understand who you are, what you want to be, whether you're ready for it or not. And if not, how do you reconcile? How do you let people know where you need the help? Because even leaders need help. You should be willing to reach out and ask for that help when needed. You know, you don't need to have all the answers. Absolutely. You don't need to have the answer. That's that's a very good point. You don't actually need to have the answers, but you need to actually have the ability and maybe put your ego in your back pocket and actually ask for help 
So Cato asked for help. I like what you said before. If you're not good at what you do, then you won't be good at what you need, you're supposed to be doing. That's precious, just that, what you just said there. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.